Over the last few weeks, we have been in a series titled Church Antiques. And the logic has been we are pulling out some of these things that we hear, some of these things that are discussed, some of these biblical things, but we're not sure where they fit in our modern context and what we do uh, now as 21st century Christians. How do baptism, fasting, tithing, Sabbath all relate? And we've gone through, over the course of this study, we've looked at baptism and understood that it, it isn't a actual washing, but it's symbolizing the washing that has taken place as we have been buried in death and raised to new life. We discussed that baptism is an outward expression of the inward change that is taken that we are proclaiming to all around. We dusted off this practice of Sabbath, and it's been really cool to watch you guys taking part in this and saying, I want to participate in this holy and righteous uh, activity. And Sabbath, we discuss, is a stopping of work for the sake of rest, restoration, and reflection. And that uh, the key there is that we rest from our work so that we can then work on the other six days from our rest. This uh, Last week, we discussed tithing. And we sat in the idea that Maybe our giving shouldn't be so focused on meeting some specific requirement, but that we are called to give sacrificially. That it's not checking a box for us in God's, you know, attendance book of, okay, is Jordan good enough now? But instead that we are all called to give sacrificially. And I know that many of you guys are not income earners. And so you are going, well, maybe I could tithe of my time and I would push you to think in that same vein, am I giving of my time in abundance or in the excess, or am I willing to give sacrificially of my time? Even when it hurts, even when I have to say no to things I want to do and things that I need to do because I am giving of myself to others. So um, this morning we are turning to a practice that really in the last probably 40 or 50 years, it feels like it's gone extinct. This is a practice that I think in, back in the mid-1900s and before, we read a lot about people fasting, but nowadays I don't think that there is much going on with fasting. It's a practice that you've probably never had anything really taught on specifically. It's a practice that you know is biblical, but we don't know really what the point is and the purpose and how to practice. And I was that way in college. So in college... Um, Freshman Jordan was at like a spiritual high, uh, and many of you probably can relate to that, right? You move from your youth group into a college ministry that you're surrounded in with a group of friends who are pushing you and encouraging you. You're in a small group that's holding you accountable, and you're growing and watching other people like just take these massive steps of faith. You're a part of a, a worship service or a master teacher setting where you're being convicted and pushed outside of your comfort zone and in your holy huddles into going and making disciples and living out your faith in new and exciting ways. And also, I was interested in this girl my freshman year. Um, there she is. Uh, and... These are my notes. So she was beautiful. I'm not using hot so that you guys don't get on to me. So <laughs> she was beautiful, funny, easy to talk to. And here's what was most attractive. She was committed to her faith. 
and really more so than I had ever been. She was more knowledgeable, more wise, and more devout than I ever was. And I was very much interested. But see, here's what I came to the table with. Zeal and passion and the desire to make God uh, the center of my life, even though I didn't really have a great framework of how to do that. And I remember one weekend, the spring of my freshman year, deciding I was going to fast. Now, I think that liking this girl and deciding if I should ask her on a date had something to do with this desire to fast, um, as I was like, maybe God will answer me or give me clarity or just say yes to this passion that I have, right? And so here's what I did. Saturday night, I think I just said, well, I'm going to fast, so I'm just going to skip dinner. No big deal. So I did that. Um, Then Sunday morning came along. And I'm sure, as a spiritual person that I was, I told my friends, yeah, I'm not going to go to lunch with you guys after church. Uh, I'm fasting, right? <laughs> I mean, a pretty biblical way of doing it, as we'll see. Uh, then we had this master-teacher thing on Sunday nights where we ate dinner, and then we had a teacher, and then we talked around round tables. And I remember sitting across the table, and I don't remember if it was spaghetti or pizza, but I'm sure it was one of the two because we were Baptists, and that's just kind of what you do, right? So I was sitting, and I, they were going, are oh, you not going to get a plate? No, I'm fasting. No, I'm really hungry. I'm starving, and it looks so good, but I'm fasting. I don't remember if I broke the fast that night, but I'm pretty sure I at least like made it to the next morning out of just sheer will and determination. That, okay, I'm doing this. And here's something about me. Some of you may know this. I can skip meals pretty easily. Um, I, I've learned in marriage, and that's not like a, like, I've learned in marriage not everybody skips meals. Like, Carla needs her zone bar every single morning, no matter what. Even if we're going to breakfast at like 9.30, yeah, I need to go ahead and have my Diet Coke, right? And my zone bar. That's just what it is. But I can skip meals. So this week, I didn't have dinner Thursday night and didn't have breakfast Friday morning. So it was about 24 hours between eating. That's not that big of a deal. That's not a spiritual thing. That's just laziness or just not caring, right? But in this time of fasting that I did, I just skipped meals and I just dwelled on how hungry I was. I'm pretty sure I didn't even drink water, which is dumb, all right? And like... Don't encourage that, okay? So, um, anyways, this was spiritual freshman Jordan at his, like, mountaintop, right? Like, look at me. I am following God. I am devout. But here's the deal. I didn't understand what was going on. I, I, I just did it because I thought that's what you're supposed to do, but I was misguided, misinformed. I misunderstood completely. All I did in that weekend of fasting was create unnecessary hunger and discomfort for myself. And here's why. I failed to replace it with anything. I simply just self-deprived, or deprived myself, excuse me, and didn't do anything godly or spiritual or focused or purposeful in it. So as we jump in this morning, we're going to understand what fasting is. But before we can understand what it is, we have to verify that it's something that we should be practicing. So I want you to hear this morning that fasting isn't something we might do. It's something that we must do. Jesus will say in Matthew 6 
he's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, When you fast, verse 16 of chapter 6, Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen to others. Okay, that's what Jordan did. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Yeah, and I got my reward. I got to, you know, brag about it. Verse 17, But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. Jesus doesn't say, if you choose to fast, but he says twice in those three verses, when you fast. When you fast, this is how you are to do it. The Pharisees will get on to Jesus because his disciples were not fasting while he was around. And so in Matthew 9, there, there's a problem there. And in 9.15, he comes back and he says, yes, they're not fasting right now because when you're with the bridegroom, when, when the Son of God is among you, you don't deprive yourself. But when I leave, they will fast. In Acts chapter 13, it's not going to be on the screen. I'm just going to kind of let you know the the church in Antioch was praying through and just trying to discern who to send and how to send missionaries out uh, to proclaim the good news of God to all nations around them. And what does it say in chapter 13? That they were praying and fasting. Fasting is not something we might do. It's something that we must do. Fasting is not something that we, if we do this, but when we do this. Fasting, as I'm trying to define, I don't love my definitions, but it helps us understand. Fasting is stopping basic things to reorient your life around the most essential thing. It's depriving ourselves of basic needs, indispensable things in our life, so that we can focus in this shortened period, in this small time frame, that we can reorient our life around what is most important. Fasting will create a hunger within us for whatever we have removed. And that hunger helps us to understand how we should hunger for our God. So my first issue with fasting, well, beyond the I told everybody, my first issue with fasting is I said no to food, but I didn't say yes to anything else. I removed, but I did not replace and many of you are much wiser than I was when I was 18, and you understand, Jordan, this is a very basic idea, but I want you to think about it. We must replace in our lives. To fast appropriately, we remove whatever that we can give up for that season or that time frame so that we can draw closer to our God. All I did was diet, okay? An unhealthy diet, a a not smart diet, but that's all I did was diet. And there's no spiritual benefit of that. But fasting has a focus on who God is, and we create this desperate need for him. I love this quote, this book called Habits of Grace, by, written by a guy named David Mathis. It says, We fast from what we can see and taste because we have tasted and seen the goodness of the invisible God and are desperately hungry for more of him. We say no to these things that we hunger for, these physical things, so that we can hunger for our God. Now, so all we've done thus far is fasting is not if, but when. And fasting is not just a removal, but a replacing. 
It's not just self-deprivation, but it's a time of growth. Now, I want us to turn to the book of Isaiah. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah 58, what's happening here to kind of set this up is God's going to say, Hey, Isaiah, I need you to talk to the people. I need you to get on to them because what's going on right now is not right. And he's going to talk about how they are fasting. So Isaiah 58, if you get to Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you've gone too far. If you've got to Psalms, keep going a little bit. Isaiah 58, verse 1, it says, Cry aloud, this is God to Isaiah, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgressions, to the house of Jacob their sins. Okay, so that's hard, right? Like, that's not a real fun job. When Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me in chapter 6, here's some of what he gets to do, and it's not a lot of fun. He says, make your voice like a trumpet. Be loud, obnoxious, and let them hear about their sins. And then what you're going to see in verses 2 and 3 is that it seems like they're doing things right. They seek me daily, verse 2, and they delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to me. Once again, it all seems pretty good. And then here comes their complaints. Why have we fasted and you not see it? Maybe you've said, God, I've been praying for this. Why aren't you answering? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? God, where are you? Why are you not showing up? I'm hurting. I need you. I want you to do what I want. And you're not showing up. Eugene Peterson, in the message, he writes it this way. He says, they're busy, busy, busy at worship. They love studying all about me. To all appearances, they are a nation of right-living people, law-abiding and God-honoring. To all appearances, that is. They ask me, what's the right thing to do? And they love having me on their side, but they also complain, why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? Kind of help us to see that. Continuing in verse 3, he says, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure, and you oppress all your workers, You fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Really what he's meaning is a day for you to just show off that you're super humble and super spiritual. You really think this is what I'm going to do? See, in your fasting, you are just seeking your own desires, not mine. In your fasting, you're oppressing. You're making life more difficult. You're not loving your neighbor. No, you are hating your neighbor by the way that you are living in this spiritual facade. This is not a fast that I will accept. Verse 6, he goes on. He says, is not this the fast that I will choose? And the negations there can be confusing. Here's what I want you to do, is what he says. I want you to loose the bonds of the wickedness. I want you to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke. Is it not 
to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house. And when you see the naked to cover him, doesn't this just sound like what Jesus talks about when he says, well done, my good and faithful servant, because when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. This sounds very, very similar, doesn't it? This is the fast. This is how we should live as we respond to our God. So what do we get from Isaiah 58? Incorrect fasting should have no hope of God responding. Incorrect fasting, selfish fasting, should have no hope of God responding. Fasting that just exalts the individual is not a fast that God accepts. David Mathis will say, fasting is a desperate measure for desperate times among those who are themselves desperate for God. This is a, I am at my end. I have nowhere to turn. God, I long, I need, I... I am calling upon you, and I am putting aside everything that I want because I want you more than I want this. The people of Isaiah's day were using fasting as a fast track to receive from God. It became a tool to manipulate and to demand God to do what they wanted. But true fasting, as he will come out in 6 through 8-ish, is living sacrificially with a kingdom mindset. It's sharing the bread that you could eat with those that are hungry. It is releasing those that are bound in chains to addiction, to shame, to just sin. It is setting them free. It is serving the oppressed, not not increasing the oppression on others because you're doing this spiritual deed. To fast says no to my deeds, I mean to my needs, excuse me. To fast says no to my needs and yes to the ways and to the will of God. Fasting is an act of worship that proclaims that louder than the pains of my hunger inside of me is my desperateness for God. So I want to close this morning with just some really simple steps of how could you fast? How could you build this into your life and allow this to be a part of what you do? How can this be a desperate measure for desperate time because you're a desperate person for God? I don't think, while Sabbath I said I want every single one of you to practice this this week and for the rest of the semester, this may not be for you in this moment, but it will be for you at a time in your life. So how do we fast? First, start small. Okay. Don't just go, all right, I'm pretty good at skipping meals. I'm just going to fast for a week, right? I'm just going to carb load on the front end, and then I'm just going to kind of get after it, right? No. Start small. Skip one meal. Skip one meal. Maybe it's you want to start your week off. Maybe you've just been getting in a bad rhythm every single week this semester. Skip Monday, a meal on Monday, one meal, and say, during that time, I am going to just pray and focus and really start my week oriented towards God rather than pushed in every single direction. Start small. Maybe you say, okay, I think I can do a whole day of this. Okay, don't try for three days. Don't try for a week. Don't try, oh, I'm going to do it without water because I'm more spiritual. No, okay? Don't be dumb. Just do this. You know, like, I don't think God's more impressed. It's about helping you orient your life. All right? Uh, Secondly, 
plan not only what you're going to remove, but what you're going to replace it with. See, here's the deal. So many of us have participated in Lent before, right? And so we've given up our, uh, we've given up Netflix or Twitter or, you know, whatever. But the problem is we just replace it with just something that's similar, right? Like, I gave up Netflix, but I got really into Fortnite. Like, okay, like, sure, great. Yeah, I'm really proud of you. You know, I think God's honored for these 40 days, right? Like, no. You know, giving up Twitter, but just, like, adding Instagram time and followers doesn't help you. What are you going to remove, but then what are you going to replace it with? Be it a time of prayer, be it a time of meditation, solitude, silence. Is it a time of just, like, you know what, in this hour, I'm just going to read the book of Ephesians. And then next Monday, I'm going to read the book of Galatians. Or I'm going to read as far as I can into the book of John. And just sitting in these stories. Oh, what are you going to replace it with? Don't just plan, yeah, I'm just taking this mill off. But play, replace. Plan your replacement. Thirdly, consider the ramifications. Here's what I mean. I'll illustrate this this way. Carlin and I, for the past two years, or really probably even more, have gone on a beach trip around our birthdays. So June 16th is my birthday. June 30th is Carlin's. So I expect you to remember and just send things, all right? <laughs> we like that. Um, yeah. So anyways, uh, we tend to go on my birthday to the beach. Carlin doesn't love that, but I use the excuse that prices are more expensive around July 4th. So uh, we go on my birthday. And so anyways, that's just Diet Coke, right? right? So... Uh, anyways, here's what we do. Because we want to be uh, with the best beach bod that we can, but we don't like working out or really doing too much to like get there, we try to like the week and a half before just say no sweets. Okay? So we're just like no sweets. Problem is, is that on your birthday, sweets flood into your life, right? Like, so I can remember like, well, I'm just taking off sweets and then Carlin like, buy me donuts. And I'm like, get behind me, Satan, right? Like, <laughs> this is not what we want to do. Or I show up at work and a sweet coworker has donuts or kolache sitting on my desk and I'm like, how do I throw this away without it looking bad, right? Like, what up, I mean, this last year we had cheesecake at 10 a.m. in our staff meeting this week that I was fasting for our dieting, excuse me. Like, consider the ramifications because I was robbing people of the hospitality they were wanting to show and the way they were wanting to celebrate by just saying, oh, well, no, I'm not enjoying this. Well, how does this relate? Consider the ramifications. Don't choose a meal to fast from if you know that that is an opportunity for you that you have fellowship with other believers, that you're going to be maybe meeting or that you could be meeting someone as you're walking through and just spending time with them, growing in a relationship. Do not choose, okay, well, Sunday lunch, I'm always going to fast, when there's great relational opportunity here. Don't don't uh, choose to set yourself up to cause problems in those ways. Also, if you're a person that gets hangry, and you know who you are, right? Like, you know who you are, Please don't fast before small group, right? Like, please don't fast when you are going to be leading out at Saddlewood or something like that. Like, please consider the ramifications of what you're choosing so that you're not causing problems. Finally, or we got two more quick ones. First, fasting can be a variety of things, okay? As we talked about it, it can be food, 
but it can also be things like Netflix or Instagram or just setting your phone away. Hey, for this hour and a half, every day I'm going to put my phone away. But it's not just we're doing that and then we replace it with something else. We replace it with spiritual things as we want to to lean in and to orient our lives around God. Um, so maybe for you, some of you, food is not the thing you need to fast from. All right? If you have like diabetes or just like blood sugar issues or anything like that, don't feel like you are falling behind and that you cannot be spiritual because of this. No, find something you can fast from. Um, and fasting doesn't have to just be personal, okay? If there's something going on in your small group where y'all are desperate for God to work in this way, maybe everybody's kind of struggling in the same area. Maybe there's a, a person in your group who is just hurting, and just you say, all right, as a group, we're going to corporately fast for 24 hours or for this amount of time because we really want to be desperate for God on the behalf of our friend or you know all that. You're welcome to do that. Um, fasting can be corporate. I know of ministries that fast together. And they say, hey, we're going to fast, but then we'll feast together as well. Finally, remember the why. If you simply fast and dwell on what you're saying no to the whole time, if you just kind of like rub your stomach like, oh, man, and just like just get on Yelp and just look at pictures, you know, like... <laughs> Just lusting after Torchy's tacos or, you know, whatever it is. Like, I don't know where... No, I don't do that. <laughs> but remember the why. It's not simply just sitting in, oh, well, I'm saying no to this, and oh, I'm so hungry, oh, I'm so hungry. Man, I really wish I could have this. Man, I'm so jealous of this. No, that's not the goal. Mathis will say, final quote from him, if you make it through simply with an iron will saying no to your stomach, but you don't turn your mind's eye elsewhere, you miss the point of fasting. If it's simply how strong can you be, that's not the point. The point is that we're focusing on God and we're understanding our desperateness. We're understanding this longing within us is pushing us to how we should be towards our God. So here's some questions I would encourage you if you consider fasting. Is there something you desperately need God to do? Is there a prayer that you need answered? Is there a decision that you don't know and you need discernment? Is there a doubt weighing on you? Is there a situation that is troubling? Is your zeal for God declining? Is your desire for Him deteriorating? Maybe then fasting is the appropriate spiritual response for you. wherever you just need to step in and go, or maybe you just realize the excess of your life. I was reading this week, it says, we are gods to our, I mean, our stomachs are our gods. And we bow down and worship them. We live in a country where obesity is the majority in a lot of ways, right? Or is the norm. And we have to be able to say, you know what? These things that are so natural for me to desire, I am going to choose to give up. But, not just to give up, but for the sake of leaning into God and orienting my life around Him. So let me pray for us. Dear Lord, we love you. And Lord, the only reason that we would ever consider fasting is because of how good you are to us and how great your grace is. 
Lord, we love you because you first loved us. And fasting is just a step of loving in return. Fasting is just a response to your love for us that is displayed on the cross, where us as sinners, as vile, as awful, as terrible people, Lord, you came and you endured the shame, the pain, the ridicule for us. Lord, this week as Holy Week is upon us. Lord, you showed up in Jerusalem that day on purpose, for a purpose. While they are praising, you knew that they would be ridiculing you at the end of the week. Lord, help us not to lose sight of that. And Lord, as we now try to respond to you, in spiritual acts that honor you and that help us in our walk. Lord, be with us and guide us. Give us clarity and understanding of how we can do this in a way that is appropriate and not selfish. Lord, in our time together and discussions, Lord, may it be fruitful and helpful. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.